Scanner School Session Number 57, Ham Radio University 2019. Welcome to The Scanner School, a podcast dedicated to the scanner radio hobby. Class is about to begin. Here is your host, Phil Lichtenberger. Welcome to Scanner School. My name is Phil Lichtenberger. My amateur radio call sign is W2LIE, and this is Scanner School, a podcast where we teach you everything you need to know about the scanner radio hobby. Today, we're going to do something a little bit different on the podcast. We're going to jump right into this one because this one's a bit of a long one. I recently did a presentation at Ham Radio University, which is held every year here on Long Island, New York. And I've been lucky enough to be invited back um, for the last, I can't even tell you how many years I've been doing it now. But uh, they've asked me to come in and do a scanner course for the, the Long Island area. So what we're going to do is I recorded the um, the presentation, and I also recorded some video of this too, and I have the slides. So if you want to actually see this one on YouTube, I've posted this to my YouTube channel. So if you go to scannerschool.com slash YouTube, you can view the presentation slides as we talk about what's going on uh, in this podcast. Um, the other thing too is I'm starting really now to ramp up my YouTube videos. So if you haven't done so yet, Check out the YouTube channel. Make sure you subscribe and click the little bell icon on our YouTube. Again, scannerschool.com slash YouTube. So, again, we're going to jump right into this. Now, again, the the content, the um, the information in here was kind of leaning towards what it is for Long Island. But a lot of the information here is um, you can use it, you know, worldwide. So, again, if, if you have a local radio club, maybe you have um, a need for, you know, you want somebody to do a presentation like this. Let me know. We could talk about uh, you know doing something virtual or something like that for uh, for your local radio club as well. All right, let's jump right into our HRU presentation. Again, I'm sorry for the audio uh, quality in this one. It was a bit tough. I did check my levels before, but that was in my normal voice, not my presentation voice. So there is a little bit of uh, peaking in the audio. All right, that's it. I'll catch you on the other side of this presentation. All right, everybody, welcome. To HRU 2019, my name is Phil Lichtenberger. Um, this is uh, the scanning forum at HRU. So, for anybody, anybody take this before? Is this a repeat for some people? Perfect. For everybody else, this is brand new. Um, we're going to cover a lot of topics in a very short period of time. If you need me to slow down, let me know. But we're going to probably take this to about 45 minutes, about five minutes at the end for questions. There's a lot of material in here. Um, for those of you that missed anything, I am recording this, so we'll find it on YouTube. My YouTube channel is scannerschool.com slash YouTube. So uh, hopefully this makes it on there. And then if I get permission from the guys at HRU, you'll find this also as a podcast, the audio for today's uh, presentation. So if you want to take this with you on the go and listen to it again, um, again, you'll find that at Scanner School. I also, at the very bottom here, there's a, a, a web link, scannerschool.com slash HRU. And right now, if you put your email address in, it's going to automatically email you last year's presentation. I didn't have a chance to put this year's presentation in the feed. So, um, but if you go to that site, um, I will, I'll embed the podcast and also the YouTube video replay of this. So, um, you know, if, if I went a little bit too fast and you want to go back and listen to something, I'll, that should be made available for you. Um, because it's a mistake. Ah, so it is dot com. <laughs> it is dot com, yes. Okay. All right. So we'll be covering co uh, conventional trunking, rebanding, the digital modes, and then also some useful equipment that you can use right here on, uh, on Long Island. 
All right, so what is scanning? Scanning basically is the ability to cycle through many frequencies in a very short period of time, uh, either via uh, scan lists, banks, or, or that kind of thing. Um, again, it allows you to monitor several different agencies from a single radio, whereas if you had you know, just a VHF radio, you'd be stuck listening to whatever's on the VHF side of the house. And of course, scanning is, at least in my point of view, it's pretty fun with all the stuff you can do with it. So why would we use a scanner instead of a two-way radio? Uh, basically, scanners have a much faster scan rate, better memory management, which also includes the ability to lock things out and, and toggle things you know, in, into and out of scan lists. Um, much larger memories. The Home Patrol units have 4 gig out of the box, I think 8 gig possible, or 16 gig, something like that, something crazy like that. Um, unit in scanners like the 996P2 has 25,000 memory locations in it, so that, that's quite a bit. Also the ability to monitor complex systems such as analog P25, DMR, and XDN trunking conventional all from a single radio instead of paying you know six thousand dollars for an APX series you know, commercial grade scanner is take a zero off that on the, the high-end side. So also some more complex functions such as RF scopes and digitals and logical channel functions and whatnot in the higher-end scanners. So what are some of the things that we can listen to on a on a scanner. Uh, so you can listen to, obviously, police, and depends where you are, fire, uh, EMS, office emergency management, some transit, aviation, marine. Basically, if they transmit and they're not encrypt or they're not on some funky system, you will be able to monitor it with the scanner or at least some sort of device that acts as a scanner, um, which we'll talk about really quick at the end here. So is owning a scanner legal in the United States? Yeah, it's legal to own a scanner. Uh, local state laws and other things may limit you, like you know, the Republic of New York is a little bit different. And for anybody who's curious, this is a New York State vehicle traffic law. People read this one of two ways, and I'm not here to debate which way, one way or the other. Um, I'm just here to point it out to you, and I like where it says that it must have a um, uh, valid amateur radio operator's license blah, 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 with a mobile transmitter in connection where of a receiver for receiving set of frequencies exclusively allocated for the Federal Communications Commission. People say, I have an amateur license. I can carry a scanner. That's not the way I read it. I read it as a transceiver that can go into the police band, which covered you back in the old crystal days. But um, so that's a whole big topic of debate that has been going on for years. So um, long and short of it, don't do anything stupid with your scanner in the state of New York. Don't be committing a crime. Um, you know, keep your nose clean and if somebody bothers you, you answer all their questions. That's really, that's really all I have to say about it. is it legal in New York. So we're all amateur radio operators in, in the room. We all understand basically conventional radio, point to point, simplex, duplex, repeaters. Okay. Uh, for real quick, for anybody who didn't want to answer, simplex, example, this would be single frequency fire ground. Everybody transmits and receives in the same frequency, point to point communications. Uh, those kind of things. Repeaters, basically, you know, repeater on a high elevation allows you to have a bigger footprint. Example of that would be a dispatch frequency. And of course, you have a transmit side and a receive side, so you have frequency pairs that are in operation when it comes to conventional, I mean, uh, repeaters. Now, again, these all hold true for analog or digital. Everything so far right now, there's, there's no line on the difference of it. And of course, if I can figure out how to go back a screen now. Duplex, which is kind of new to different for most of us in the amateur world, unless you're, uh, you're used to doing something like contesting, I guess, right, on, uh, on uh, HF. 
So duplex use two frequencies. Uh, receive and transmit is flat, which tra was transmit and receive. So it allows you to, um, you know, unit A is transmitting, but the receiver is also listening on the same transmit frequency, and they flip. The other guy transmits on the other guy's receive. In New York, New York State Police operate on a duplex system, which is really why I want to slow up and point this one out. So if you're listening to New York State Police, you may find out that you might be able to hear, for example, here on Long Island, uh, Troop L, really nice, strong signal out of Farmingdale, and you may hear both sides of the transmission. But when they go ahead and they talk to a unit on the parkway frequency, you're only going to hear maybe the dispatch. You're only going to hear Troop L. You may not hear the cars coming back. Uh, actually, the dispatch, the, the parkway frequency is simplex. That's a bad, bad example. But there are duplex frequencies in use here. So when uh, Troop L dispatcher transmits, the cars come back on a different frequency. When you set up your scan list for New York State Police, my, um, my thought usually is to set them up in, a small, in their own scan list. Set them up, like on the unit and radios, you can set the hold time on a bank or a favorites list. Set the hold time for three or four seconds. This way, when it finishes going through the handful of New York State Police frequencies, it sits there and cycles through them all. So it gives you the opportunity to catch both sides of the transmission. If you didn't do that and you ran through maybe the, half, you know, the dozen New York State frequencies and then went on to the rest of whatever your scanner was going to do, you'll miss whatever was happening for the state police. That's called hold time? It's called hold, hold, hold time, yes. Delay time is the amount of time that you stay on a frequency, yes. but the hold time is the amount of time you stay in the bank or the favorites list. So with analog, Scanning is no different than we are used to with amateur radio, with analog, right? You have PL tones, which is basically a you know, CTCSS subaudible tone. Um, it allows basically filters on who you can hear and who can hear you kind of thing. Um, there's also DPL, which is an upgraded version of it. It's a digital coded squelch, same principle as, as PL. Um, again, we're all pretty much familiar with PL and DPL in the room. Okay, so now we'll, we'll go on to digital scanning, which I know a lot of us, are, many, many of you are, are getting into or, or starting to understand now because of the way things are changing here. Um, Nassau County years ago went P25 with, with, with what they do. Uh, we all, from all of us in Nassau County, understand that you know, the police are encrypted, so it's a headache, but there's still stuff to listen to on the P25 system. Uh, Nassau Medcom, fire marshals, hazmats, uh, they're on the trunk system as well. Suffolk County is rolling over now to a P25 phase two system. That system, I am going to assume, will be more populated, I guess, maybe not full-time, by, by, by the end of the year. Um, I believe they're waiting for more transmitter site, but the you know, Suffolk buses are on it. Southampton Village is on there. Um, there are police talk groups on there already. So they are playing with it. They are going to make the move. So digital is where you're going. If you're going to buy a scanner today, I would re really recommend buying something that is uh, phase two P25 capable. When you talk about digital, we need to understand that there's really two types of modulation schemes that we can use here. Uh, not modulation, but um, um, the way the frequencies are broken up. You have FDMA, which is very easy for us to visualize coming from an analog world, coming from amateur radio. FDMA basically is stands for Frequency Division Multiple Access is what the acronym stands for. Short story with FDMA is if you're transmitting on a frequency, you own that frequency for the whole length of time that you're using it. So as an analog user or a digital user, there's really no difference in the real, the real state that you're using. You've tied up 
you know, 451.0 for the whole length of time that you're using it. Nobody else can use it while you're, while you're on it. Once you dekey, somebody else can use it. Frequency division basically means that if somebody else wants to key up, they have to be on a different frequency. So repeater pairs, input outputs, uh, fire ground, dispatch, tactical channel, dispatch, those, those kinds of things would be considered FDMA. FDMA kind of kicks in when it comes to digital because it allows you to, um, to split the signal in half and put two people on the same bandwidth, which is really no different than, than again, narrow banding today anyway in the analog world. The real thing that makes you think, though, is TDMA. Now, TDMA, if anybody remembers AT&T cell service back, say I work for AT&T, I've been with AT&T for 18 years. When I started there 18 years ago, we had TDMA. So I'd say about 18 years ago, <laughs> from 20, 20 to uh, 15 years ago, TDMA was a technology that AT&T used on our cell phones. And basically what it means is it's a time-divisible multi-axis, which means that you're using the same this frequency, but you're alternating your time slot with somebody else. So you're, you're basically, over time, you're using it for half the time, somebody else is using it for half the amount of time. So really quick, what's happening is you have, um, your user A is using it for like 30 milliseconds, and then user B uses it for 30 milliseconds, and user A uses it again for 30 milliseconds. And this happens on a really quick cycle. So that, um, um, you know, it's, it doubles your capacity, basically. So P, uh, TDMA is used on P25 and DMR which we'll touch on now in a minute or two. So digital scanning, right? Everybody's kind of heard the acronym Project 25, APCO 25, P25. This was the big one for several years where um, everybody was going into it. Nice thing to know about P25 is that it was backwards compatible with the analog mode. So here's a basic flow chart of how P25 would be set up. You have your radio. You can go analog or digital. You can go conventional or trunked. You can go narrowband or wideband. You can go um, data, voice. Encrypted, talk group, emergency group. On the other side, you have narrowband, wideband, CTCSS, DCS, or carrier squelch. So one radio was allowed to go back and forth. It was really, it was, it was the standard for backwards compatibility. Uh, these days, if you need a federal grant, you have to go P25 phase two. So P25 is still strong. It's still, um, uh, I think it's, it's the standard for uh, security, uh, uh, public safety, basically. So when it comes to P25 scanning, obviously you need a scanner that's capable of doing P25. For conventional, it doesn't make a difference if it's phase one or phase two. It just needs to, to do P25. Just like with uh, analog, we have PL and DPL. You have NAC codes on P25. It's basically a three-digit hexadecimal number. And again, it works basically the same way as, as a PL code, except in order to put in CSQ, you would put in, I think, F7E, I think is what it, uh, yeah, F7E is basically your CSQ setting when it comes to P25. Or you just don't program it in, and the scanner automatically assumes open squelch. DMR. DMR we see a lot of on Long Island, a lot of in the tri-state. There's uh, quite a bit of DMR in the amateur community now. So this one, uh, we'll take a little bit of time talking about this one too. So DMR, if anybody's taken this before, this is a new slide. Um, it's the European Telecommunications Standard Institute, I believe what it stands for, ETSI. It's a standard set up by them. Um, and of course, the benefits they say are is the capability of increasing your licensing because now you have TDMA, so you've doubled your, your capacity. Um, 
longer battery life on the radios because again you're using it for half the amount of time. I don't know how how much you know that 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 comes into play, but um, you know there's a lot more coming out for DMR. Some of the scanners are able to receive DMR, especially the ones that do P25. With Unidin, it's usually a paid upgrade. When it comes to Whistler, it's included, but you're going to pay more for the radio out of the box. So it's kind of a trade-off as to what whatever it needs. So again, DMR is strictly digital. There's no analog transmissions in DMR. Two time slot TDMA, and the trick here is that it uses the AMBE plus two vocoder by DVSI. So does P25. So there's some similarities between that. And also when we talk about NXDN, NXDN also uses the exact same vocoder. So with DMR, we have what are called color codes. And that's not a misspelling on the word color. That's European standard, right? Um, so just like in uh, PL or DPL for analog, you have, um, you have color codes, values 1 through 15. And don't confuse a color code with a RAS key or a restricted access to system key. What a RAS key is, if you're on a commercial network and you have a radio that wants to transmit on the network, the RAS key is the authentication to get you to be able to use that repeater. When it comes to scanning, there's no need for a RAS key because we're just receiving it. There's no authentication. There's nothing going on. People sometimes mistake RAS keys with encryption. It is not encryption. It's just an, authentic it's just an authentication method to get on the system. So um, again, since we don't have to worry about it, that value is ignored by scanner radios. But just for your information, it's 6 to 24 characters long, 26 alphabetical letters plus the 0 through 9. Do those RAS keys uh, uh, give up on who's using it? Do they give them? You have a radio ID or unit ID in the radio, so that would be the way of knowing. But if somebody clones. Like, you know, like some NAT codes, you say, oh, this is a, a known federal NAT code or whatever. Mm -hmm. Those RAS keys, are they also We don't know what the RAS keys are. They're hashed out over the, you know, on, on the layering. But as scanner radio, we don't really need to worry about RAS codes anyway. As far as I know, we can't figure out. And I'm not excited. It doesn't really. As a scanner user, doesn't matter. Don't need it. Yep. Got it. So NXDN, um, this, one's, this one's a bit funny. NXDN stands for Next Generation Digital Narrowband. It's an ITUR accepted mode of digital radio, uh, created in 2003. And it's meant more for the business environment, oil truck deliveries, um, security type of things, commercial establishments. Um, can be configured as 6.2 uh, typo 6.25 kilohertz or 12.5 kilohertz, and it uses FDMA, whereas DMR and P25 use TDMA. NXDN uses FDMA, and there's several flavors too on uh, NXDN. We have Kenwood has their own flavor flavor called Next Edge. ICOM's got a flavor called IDAS, and then there's also the NXDN standard. When it comes to programming your scanner, you don't have to worry about it. The scanner handles whatever the protocol is. Um, also forgot to mention too, when it comes to DMR, there's three tiers. I must have muted that slide. I'm pretty sure it was in here. So DMR, there's three tiers. There's tier one, which is very similar to our FRS or MERS frequencies here in the States. Basically, it's a, uh, for half a watt output, simplex mode only, um, and uh, uh, non-licensed, and it has to have a fixed antenna on it. So again, it's like those FRS radios that we're all kind of familiar with. Tier two allows you to have uh, more higher output 
um, and also repeaters into the network. So it's made for more for businesses who need a higher, bigger footprint. And then tier three DMR is for trunking. We'll talk about trunking in just a minute here. How are we doing so far? Am I miss losing anybody? I know I'm going a little fast, but we're going to solve it when it gets in the trunking world. Does everybody here know how trunking works, or is this a mystery to a lot of people? OK, perfect. So trunking in a very simple form is you have a pool of users that need to use a small number of resources. So what I like to say, for example, is we'll just take the rows in this classroom, right? There's, there's three rows here. So we'll make, and plus the back row. We'll leave you guys out. There's four rows here. So we'll say each row is its own group. And then I am standing in front, so I am the guy coordinating everything here in the, in the classroom. I would be the controller. The rows here would be the groups or the radio users in the network. And each one of you guys would be your own individual radio user. When somebody in the first row needs to key up and needs to talk to everybody else in the first row, he keys up the radio and he says, hey, controller, I need a voice channel. And I'll say, you guys go to channel five. Everybody in this row goes to channel five listens to the conversation, and once the person de-keys the radio, you guys all come back to me to wait for directions. When somebody wants to respond, I'll say, okay, now you guys go to channel 10. And the whole row goes to channel 10. Stay that one conversation goes, and when that person de-keys, you'll come back to the control channel and wait for further directions. This happens over and over and over again. So while row one is maybe on channel five, row two is on channel seven, row three is not doing anything, so they're waiting for me to tell them what to do next, and the back row might be on channel one, having, you know, doing what they're doing. And then when the first two rows de-key and they come back, they may swap frequencies. So you're always jumping around, taking, um, using the resources pool that are available. So the point really of trunking is that when it comes to, like when you think, just think of, of repeaters in amateur radio, because it's the easiest thing to talk about since we're all here. Nobody else is going to use that frequency because it's coordinated, right? Nobody's going to use 14685 on Long Island because Limark's got that frequency coordinated for how many you know, decades now, right? But that's what I mean. That frequency is now tied up in New York. Think about it on the public safety side where you have you know, the UHF band and all these agencies and all these fire departments that have UHF. All of a sudden now, it's a battle for resources. People are now, like it's eBay, they're going on the FCC website and they're sniping licenses from other departments so that they can finally get a UHF channel. And they're not cheap to come by. You gotta have them licensed and, and everything else. But you have departments that are hoarding now frequencies because they don't wanna give them up because they have a value to them and if they ever need to use it, they need a frequency, now all of a sudden now they're owning these resources that may never be used. With trunking, you have a pool set of frequencies that you can use. And again, for an example, like we were saying here, each row can share the same frequencies. Now we have four rows here we're talking about. We may only have two frequencies in use. But because nobody's using at the same time, you guys can keep reusing those two frequencies over and over again. Of course, when everybody wants to key up, that's when you have a problem. Um, so like for Suffolk County, you have currently 22 channels. I believe 22 channels on the system. But you have police, you have fire, you have EMS, you have MedCom. You have the buses, you have state police, parks police. Um, you have all the village police departments on there as well. And uh, I believe OEM is on there. So you have a lot of things going on, but since not everybody's using it at the same time, it's, it's better use of resources. It's really what trunking is all about. And that's, that's the whole point of what trunking is. And hopefully I explained how it worked so you guys kind of understand a little bit how it works. Yep? What happens in a disaster? 
that's when you start getting the old Nextel beeps. Um, you know, when you get that, you, you push that button and you get that long tone. Um, they will go into a fail-safe mode if, say, the controller goes down. So there is some uh, back uh, redundancy in that. Not redundancy, but um, a fail-safe uh, type of thing in there. Um, there are priorities on talk groups. So if somebody needed to get on, they could, I don't want to say they would preempt, but they would get moved up to the line. With DMR, there's queuing. So it will let you know that there's a channel available and you can talk now. I'm not sure if that's, that's available in P25, but that is a possibility. But most networks are built out so that, you know, most, it, that shouldn't happen. But that is a possibility. And it's a possibility, too, that the controller can go toes up and all of a sudden AX has a bunch of small repeaters and it gets assigned to a channel. So. Phil, is it as simple as you said 23 frequencies in Suffolk County? As soon as the 24th user, it's overloaded? Yeah. Group, not user. Yeah, but for and, and I'll show you a video. I got a quick video on how on how that works. And if you want, we'll um, so we can jump to that right now. Kind of help you out here. Well, I guess not. So I had a video on here that actually showed uh, the uh, how a trunk system was working because I, I use a software called Unitrunker. And it allows me to listen to uh, the control channel, but it visualizes what's going on. So you can see all the voice channels, you can see the control channel, and you can see all the users jumping around. So it made a really nice video, but I can't play it here. So what I'll do is, we'll jump ahead real quick. I know it's hard for you guys to see, but this is just a snapshot of what that video was. And this little block up here, this red uh, channel, that's the control channel. So he's the guy organizing everything. These little yellow channels here, these are alternate control channels. So they, they cycle through the control channels. And all these black frequencies here, these are all the voice channels. And you can see we have Suffolk County 2nd Precinct, uh, Parks Police 7th Precinct, uh, county Transit, 6th Precinct, 1st Precinct, Hospitals, and then uh, County Transit on here. So you have a good number of users using it at one time. This was during the peak hours of the day. And you'll see, you, would, you would have seen them jumping all up and down the trunk system. Again, it is a possibility that it could overload, but you would think that the police have a higher priority than the buses so that they would be able to get on uh, if they need to. Would they just not be able to? You would get a busy tone on the radio or, or an access denied tone, yeah. Would we be able to perceive that? Yeah. Okay. Uh, if you're using Unitrunker and you're watching the messages, you will see denied okay. come across. So. Go to Unitrunker.com. <laughs> that was part of the second course that didn't make it into here. Um, so we have uh, systems here on the line. We have an EDAC system in Nassau County and also in the five boroughs. Motorola Type 2 in uh, the city and Suffolk County until it goes uh, extinct. P25, Nassau, Suffolk, and the city. DMR in the whole tri-state area. Uh, LTR, LTR standard in the tri-state and NXDN also in the tri-state area as well. So not so sure about what's up in, in your neck of the woods, but I'm sure most of these are also there as well. And it is NXDN in... Oh, yeah. 
Yep, Suffolk County Communications, I believe, is the big uh, um, uh, communication company that, that resells talk groups on their system. So, um, and it's, it's called Suffolk County Communication, but they have transmitters in Plainview and, and on Glen Oaks and all that stuff. It's just the company. City. Yeah, yep. There's a little bit of everything up there. There's even MPT 1327. Nice. It to me, but um, it's not something major. It's some dinky agency that okay. I, I'm not really concerned with, but I can't monitor anyway. Okay. I think there is software out there that allows you to start monitoring that. So we're going to talk about EDAX just really quick so you understand how it operates and how it works. Because what goes on EDAX transfers over to some of the other systems here. EDAX is Enhanced Digital Access Communication System. And what we need to worry about here in Nassau County is just that EDAX standard-wide is what the Nassau County system uses. Also what um, uh, Port Authority is using. So it's an i600 board control channel, 25 kilohertz wide. It's a pretty wide, uh, wide channel. And... Um, you have to worry about the logical channel numbering. It's the number one thing to take away from looking at EDAX. You need to know exactly how the frequencies are laid out in the system and put them in exactly the same way in your scanner. So you have to put, say in Nassau County, there's 17 frequencies. You gotta put them in, in order. And with the old Radio Shack scanners, and with some of, no, not so much now with the unit ones, but when you had to put them in, you know, Radio Shack, you start with channel zero in the bank. You couldn't put channel zero as logical channel one. You always had to put logical channel one in channel one. If you are missing a control, uh, a logical channel, or they're out of order, the scanner's not going to know where to go. Because in EDAX, the controller says, guys, go to channel five. But I'm not going to tell you what it is. Guys, go to channel seven. Go to channel nine. It's, it's got to be pre-programmed in the radio, in the scanner, in order to go to where it's got to go. When it comes to programming your talk group, it's an AFS format, which basically means you have an agency fleet Subfleet. So an example here is 06-141. In an ideal world, all of these same agency types would have the same agency two digits. Police 01, Fire 02, EMS 03, so on and so forth. That's not how Nassau County is set up. It's kind of all over the place. I bring this up because in most scanners, if you just put 06 in, it will scan everything else that the on the, uh, on the FS, the last three digits, it'll scan everything in there. So instead of putting in nine, 999 subfleets, if that was the case, then you put in uh, just the 06. <coughs> then we just talked about basically who's on what out here. And a lot of this is changing too. A lot of things are disappearing off the NASA County system. Motorola. Motorola is the big one. So here in uh, Long Island, we got Suffolk County. We've got Dewitt's got two systems, plus we got a couple of others. This is all getting phased out now, eventually. This is why we have rebanding. We'll talk about rebanding if we got time at the end. Um, the deal, though, with Motorola is that it was supposed to be set in stone. So I never had to tell you what the frequency was because frequency 440 was always going to be channel 440. Channel 320 was always going to be channel 320. So when the controller says, hey, guys, go to channel 551, everybody knows, oh, yeah, it's hard-coded. That's going to be 856, dot whatever it is, and go over to channel 561, or whatever channel I gave you guys. And we'll talk about rebanding. We'll, we'll tie into that now. So basically what happens with rebanding is that you had Nextel, which was um, not supposed to be a phone company when they got licensed, and you had public safety. There was interference, so they kind of swapped, swapped spaces. In, in the spectrum, 
in Suffolk County, they rolled over in 2010. In order to now take that pre-programmed data that Motorola was set in stone because it was never ever going to change, and all the radios knew it was never going to change, now changed. The only way to tell your, your scanner that it changed is to load it in as a reband system. Well, the old scanners don't allow you to put in a reband system because this was never going to change. So that's why you have a lot of radios now that are useless on the Suffolk County system. They'll work fine for everything else as far as analog, conventional, EDACs, and LTR because, again, we have, in EDACs, we have the logical channel numbers that we need to program in. So when rebanding happens in an EDAC system, we just change the frequencies. But when it comes to a Motorola system, that's not so simple. So you need to put in rebanding tables and, and all this other stuff. And software these days do a really good job of just auto-loading that stuff in there. So I would suggest saving yourself a little bit of a headache and look at programming with, um, with software. So with Motorola, we have multiple types of trunk systems. Right now, we only need to worry about really type 2. Type 1 has gone the way of the dodo, basically. And uh, in fact, we'll even skip over it. So type 2 systems, uh, they're ABCO 16 compliant. You can have up to 28 frequencies, over 4,000 talk groups. It uses a status bit, which we'll talk about in one second. Uh, and the talk groups are divisible by 16. And the reason why they are divisible by 16 is because we have what's called a status bit that's tied on to the end of each talk group, which is how the, the trunk system knows what's going on. So a typical normal talk group, say talk group 16, when there's nothing going on and nothing fancy happening, talk group 16 is talk group 16. But if there's an emergency, somebody pushes that orange button on the top of their radio and, and triggers that they, they have an emergency, the system will add a plus 2 to the end of the talk group. So now 16 becomes 18. The system knows that it's 16 because it's, you know, all the talk groups here are divisible by 16. But um, if you program your radio, this is why I'm bringing this up here, there is a status bit ignore option. If you ignore the status bit, then it doesn't matter what the extra information is. You'll hear the talk group. But if you program in talk group 18 and you have it set to not ignore a status bit, you can really type in police emergency and have your radio beep and chirp that somebody has, has set up an emergency uh, transmission on there. So again, you can have stuff like uh, uh, patch groups, uh, encryption is enabled, and, and all that stuff. And again, for the, for, the, for the end user in our boat, just make sure when you program this in, usually by default, the status bits are set to ignore in the uh, scanner programming. Uh, and real quick, what we have here in uh, New York is uh, Suffolk County, New York City, do it, Westchester, and again, most of these are moving over to something new anyway. LTR trunking, we'll skip over because we're running short on time. Um, the digital version of EDACs is Pro Voice. There's nothing Pro Voice on Long Island, so don't go ahead and purchase a upgrade for Unidin for Pro Voice. It's not needed here. Pro Voice is basically a um, uh, a digital talk group on the existing analog system. There is nothing that will support MA, COM, Open Sky. So we don't have to talk about that one either. I'm just jumping over a couple of the, the technical stuff and getting into the, the useful stuff right now because we're after 9.30 already. So phase one, phase two, P25. There's also X2 TDMA, which we won't talk about because nobody's using X2 TDMA. 
Phase one basically is FDMA. Remember we talked about FDMA and TDMA earlier? So phase one is FDMA, one conversation per frequency. Works just the way Motorola trunking did, EDAX trunking and everything else. You know, one user, one voice channel. When that user was done, it went back in the pool and was, was available again. Phase two brings up TDMA. So now all these voice channels are now split in half. And that's why some of the older radios, they don't support phase two, they don't support phase one. Uh, the horsepower wasn't there to, to be able to have that happen. Um, but that's why else now phase two is important. And most stuff out there that's being built will support phase two, like Nassau County system will support phase two, even though there's only phase one talk groups on the system. Suffolk County system is going full out phase two when they're launching it. So that's, that's what I'm hearing. So you'll at least need a phase two uh, scanner. And most of the P25 scanners that are available out there, except the two by Whistler, yeah, are phase two already. So a phase two scanner will get you in the door about 350 bucks. Again, P25 uses that AMBE plus vocoder, which you're paying for the licensing, basically, is why it also costs a bit more money. It's no longer the new one, but the home control one only does phase one. Correct. But yeah. In case someone buys that, because I have a few of those, and I have one home control too. <laughs> I bought the one and skipped the two. But I went with everything else. So, um, so P25 single channel trunking is basically a bunch of people using different talk groups on a single conven uh, conventional frequency. That's all you have to worry about. They're using a talk group the same way you would use a NAC code or a PL code on analog world. So P25 trunking kind of operates the exact same way as far as what we need to worry about when it comes to your scanner. Same as a regular, just thinking about it, right? There's nothing really different about it except it's a digital mode. You still only need the control channels to be put in there. Uh, you don't need to worry about rebanding because everything is now given to you over the air. Um, you can break down the system into zones. So wherever there's radios registered to, that's the only uh, transmitters that are going to be used. Like in Nassau County, there is a north zone and a south zone, or, or they call it Oyster Bay in primary. So if you have uh, EMS units all over the county, the MedCom channels are on both the Oyster Bay and the primary simulcast. Town of Oyster Bay North or Town of Something North is also on the trunk system, but they're only on the North Shore. So their, their talk group only happens on the Oyster Bay simulcast. It doesn't get repeated on the primary. So it's, again, it's a better resource, uh, better use of resources. So the trick here though is when you program your scanner, you can program in the North Zone and South Zone. And then if you scratch your head trying to figure out why you can't hear what you think you can hear, because they may be transmitting on a set of sites that you're not scanning, you know you're scanning the entire system, you're not monitoring that site, so you're not going to hear that, that transmission come up. So here in the uh, Long Island area, we got Nassau County, Town of Babylon, New York City's got a system on 700, Metro 25 is a state system out of the city, and Suffolk County P25, which I would assume is going to be um, getting busy this year. DMR, Tier 3. Uh, this is the DMR trunking. There's three flavors to worry about here. As far as scanner users go, we really don't care um, because the scanner takes care of what it is for us. But when it comes to listening to it, as far as listening to the control channels, you're going to hear a couple different things that are different. So the three flavors are capacity, capacity plus, connect plus, and capacity max. You also need to make sure you have your logical channel numbers in order. Again, just as you would have in, which we didn't talk about, LTR and EDAX. Usually they're in pairs, so logical channel numbers one and two are the same. So figure TDMA, right? Time slot one or time slot zero is channel one, 
The second time slot is channel two, logical channel two. So it'll be the same frequency for one and two, same frequency for three and four. Capacity plus is uh, single site or link sites. And it uses a rest channel instead of a control channel. So basically what happens if we use the same example we used before and how trunking works, I'd be the control channel, but I'm just sitting here silent. I'm not doing anything. Every once in a while I'll say, hey, I'm still here. And you guys go, okay, I'm in range. So that's how the rest channel works. If row one decides they need to talk, I tell everybody else, hey guys, go to the next rest channel. You claim this frequency, you can use it. A little bit backwards than what we're used to. Once you guys are finished talking, you go and join the other people on the rest channel they just moved over to. So it's a little strange to, to see how this works compared to all the other trunk systems that are out there. And again, if you're using the first channel and everybody's on rest channel two and somebody needs to use it and everybody gets pushed to rest channel number three so that the people who want to use channel two can use channel two. And you work your way all the way up to the top channel and then the rest channel goes back down to the beginning. DMR Connect Plus, you have a dedicated voice channel, I mean a dedicated control channel, so it's more of what we're used to. You'll hear the control channel keyed up basically all the time. When users need a voice channel, they get sent to a voice channel. Again, you need to know your logical channel numbers, just like you did with, with um, Capacity Plus, except now Connect Plus has been replaced by Capacity Max, which is now fully compliant with Tier 3 standards, where the other two weren't. Again, dedicated control channel. You can add a secondary control channel if you need more capacity on the system. There's nothing out here right now using Capacity Max. We just have Capacity Plus and Connect Plus. If you guys program in the one voice network, that's like the big system. It's like a whole tri-state uh, type of, type of uh, setup with a several of uh, Several small uh, radio shops basically came together and made one large network. So when I say Suffolk County Communications, I believe they have not only an XDN network, but they may have a Connect Plus network. But um, again, a lot of the small uh, companies came together. What you'll find on Connect Plus is a whole lot of stuff. Towing companies, cement truck companies, security companies, taxi companies. Uh, you may find some police on there. You may find some ambulance companies on there. So it's a whole, whole lot of funny stuff. But again, you're only going to hear what's keying up on your local, your local site. So if you're listening to the Plainview site, you only hear the users that are registered on the Plainview site. You're not going to hear the people who are registered in Syracuse. You know, it's, that's how it works. NXDN, there's two flavors of trunking when it comes to NXDN. Type C and Type D. So Type C is a multi-site dedicated control channel. It could be 6.25 kilohertz to 12 kilohertz. Type D, there's no control channel. Again, it works a lot like LTR. A lot of the businesses would roll over into NXDN Type D if they have a, if they have a DMR setup. Um, the nice thing about NXDN, which I didn't touch on, is it has a very easy, from the, at least the deployable state, it allowed you to use the older equipment so you could quickly get into uh, NXDN. So a lot of the systems that are out there have, have migrated from LTR to NXDN. Some of them have gone from LTR to uh, DMR. And we talked about rebanding already, and then I went through this in record time, so which is really nice because now we have some time at the end for questions, which I normally don't have. Um, as far as radios go for the area, the BC125AT is a nice, no trunking, analog only radio made by Uniden. Um, nice small footprint, about $89, alpha tags, PL code, uh, DPL. Non-digital trunking, 
which will do the Motorola systems and EDAX and LTR, I would recommend the BCT15X. When it comes to digital, everything here I recommend will do phase two P25, BCD325 P2, BCD996 P2, Home Patrol 2, the BCD436 HP, BCD536 HP, and the SDS100. SDS100 is a $650 radio. It's unit in its brand new unit. Uh, it's supposed to work really well in simulcast environments. Yep. Except we don't really have simulcast out on the island to worry about. A lot of other areas do have simulcast. What simulcast basically means, if you weren't in here earlier, uh, before we started the presentation, you have multiple sites transmitting the exact same thing at the exact same time, but it comes to you a little bit out of phase. Remember when we had analog TV, we had ghosting that would show up, uh, multi-path type of issues. Scanners don't do a good job of putting that information back together again. The SDS has a whole different algorithm. It's called IceQ scanning on how they do that. And we won't even go into that. It's a whole other 50-minute class. When it comes to Whistler, if you like the way that your old Radio Shack Pro units work, you want a Whistler radio. Whistler, uh, GRE made radios for Radio Shack. GRE got acquired by Whistler. Whistler then made radios again for Radio Shack. And then they make their own radios now. So the WS1010 is an entry level line. Uh, they don't make any non-digital scanners. But you have to watch out for um, uh, Whistler because the first two here, the WS1040 and the 1065, don't do P25 phase two, they don't do P25 phase one. And then the TRX1 and TRX2, they're the, uh, right now the current top of line ones until the new ones come out, which we hear are gonna be soon. Um, the TRX1 and two include NXDN and DMR, included with the radio. Everything here, when it comes to Uniden, it's a paid upgrade for DMR, and not all of them support NXDN. The new Whistler that's coming out is going to have Bluetooth. It's vaporware right now. We haven't seen anything. We haven't even seen a picture from Whistler. So I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be called the TRX100 and 200. Uh, at least that's what the name, the leaked name is on it. Um, but with anything else, you know, Uniden says, hey, we got this radio. And Whistler had to go, well, I got one too. But, you know, just, just to keep things going in the... Uh, is the, Sorry. Home <coughs> the Home Patrol 2, is that, what interests me is driving down 95 and have it automatically finding systems as I'm going down. My friend used a Home Patrol, loved it, put a, a GPS mm -hmm. antenna on the roof, uh, also did it via train. Do those uh, BCD 436, do they have that same capability? Yes, so, so they do use the Home Patrol database, which is what the HP at the end of it means. Basically, you use software, it's called Sentinel, though the Home Patrol 2 and 1 share the Sentinel. And then the 436, 536, and SDS100, and the new 200, um, well, sh they, sh they have a different version of Sentinel. But it's the same thing. It's, it, you it takes a radio reference database. So for free, you can just pull the radio reference database. Yep. And um, you can uh, program your radio that way. It does have the geotagging in it, either with rectangles or circles. So as you're driving, it will turn the lists off and on for you if you have a GPS hooked up to it. So um, the Whistler TRX1 and 2 also. I believe they do, I know they do the, um, the uh, radio reference database import. I'm pretty sure they do GPS, but I'm not 100% sure. I haven't played around with that at all. The Home Patrol 2, that does have DMR upgrade available. I, didn't, I was told by Uniden, unless the guy didn't know what he was talking about, said the Home Patrol 2, you can't. Then he probably, yeah, I don't, okay. yeah. And then is the SDS 200 a base model instead of like handheld? Yep. Anybody else have any other questions? Thank you. Ed. Thank you. One of your slides, on the right side, was a trunk system. And under it, it said NYPD simulcast. 
That one. The Metro 25. Yeah, they had um, Citywide 3, I think, is tied into that group. Yeah. It's tied into there. So, but the, the footprint on that one really isn't the greatest. Yeah, so, yeah. Yep. So, but there's more, there's more stuff popping up. So, what's really cool is, do you guys, do you have any, any questions? Because we'll talk about SDR real quick if you want, which is really cool. Okay. So, there's no slides on it because I wasn't really prepped to talk about it. But if you guys are interested, um, SDR you can get into for 30 bucks. You can buy these new ELEC USB dongles. And um, they plug into your laptop, and they're basically a receiver. They're modified to be a receiver. And the things you could do with it are pretty amazing. So you can tie it into a piece of software like Unitrunker and see what's going on on these trunk systems we talked about. You can, see, you can get a visual of all the overhead. You can tie it into software called DSD+, which allows you to monitor NXDN, P25, DMR. Um, if you had a DV dongle, you could do D-Star, I believe, with it as well. And again, for 30 bucks, you, you got a receiver that will, and free software allows you to do all this stuff. So if you don't want to spend the $350 to get a digital radio, you could, if you had enough time invested in it, you could go out and you could buy two, uh, two USB dongles or SDRs for $30 a piece, use the free software to one, one to stay in the control channel and one to act as your voice receiver. It uses your, uh, your computer speakers to take the audio and make it into something we can listen to. And um, it's a good way of playing around and kind of understanding what's going on because you actually you can see what's going on as you're listening to it and you get a, kind of get a better understanding, which is why I really wish we had that video going up, but we don't do that. And speaking of video, I will be repurposing this as a podcast. So if I went too fast, you want a refresher, my website is scannerschool.com. The website at the bottom is, is incorrect. It's scanschool.com at scanschool.net. You go to scanschool.com slash HRU. I'll email you the slides right now instead of for last year's slides. So by the time I get home, I'll, I'll do this year's slides. And when I do the podcast editing, then this audio that I'm doing today will be available for you guys to re-listen to. So I, I want to. You can use those dongles also to do mode S also for uh, aircraft. I do. I use that too. Yeah, I know, Ed, you do that as well. I've seen you on the, on the, on the server. So uh, I do talk about that in the podcast as well and set that up. And I had a, uh, right now I just use the built-in, um, uh, uh, what's it called, uh, FlightAware, the FlightAware server. Yeah. I've, I've, I'm on their mailing list. I just haven't had time to play around with it at all. Phil, quick so, question. Yes. If you use them like FlightAware or something, mm -hmm. do you have to upload to their, to their website? Or, I mean, can you just use that on a, a Raspberry Pi and view what's going on? So, I think, you need, I think for them, you have to, if you're going to use their interface, you have to upload it. Right. But with Plain Plotter, you can do it locally. Just with Plain Plotter, you don't have to? We have to have the receiver. Right. And then you can then do it. But Plain Plotter is commercial software. So. But there's monthly fee for Plain Plotter, right? I'm not sure if it's monthly fee or if it's a flat-out license. And is that with a pie or is that with your You would need um, a question. I'm not exactly sure. Yep. So there is a Raspberry Pi form going on right after this. Okay, yeah, but I do use my Raspberry Pi to do uh, the FlightAware, uh, and I, I can log into it. I get a nice little web page, and uh, in fact, I was doing it with the with the, um, with the air show, just watching all the planes stage off the beach, and then you'd see them come in and do their exercises and. You were using FlightAware for that. Yes. Yep. But you upload the FlightAware. I, I did at the time. I've taken it offline since then, but okay. yes. Yep. I'm gonna drag it back to, to digital. Sure. Why so many different systems? P25 seems to be 
forward and backward compatible, trunking, non-trunking, all that stuff, reprogrammable. Why so many additional modes out there? Why are there so many car manufacturers out there? You know, I mean, it's well, just, I mean, you know, it's... You know, you're talking about people trying to adopt, you know, right. a lot of money for one county to, to dive into a, a P25 and all of a sudden it's the... Well, by the time P25 actually came to the commercial uh, or the public safety environment, it was already an old technology. It was, so um, they already had a security um, uh, cracked once, so, so they went to AES 256. Um, but again, it's different, different types of things for different users. So NXDM was made more for a commercial environment. Uh, DMR, again, was also made for commercial, but a lot of people started using it for, um, uh, for public safety. NXDM was easy for system admins to integrate because it plugged into their existing infrastructure, where P25 was a whole system from the ground up. It required back-end, required IT knowledge. It required a whole lot. Of, it was a whole brand new rebuild for everything. So... Yep. Yep. Exactly. But the same deal with the analog trunking. There was LTR, uh, EDAX, Motorola. So there's, there's other flavors out there for everything. So, but, all right, guys. All right. Thank you very much. I'll hang around for a little bit to answer some questions. All right, so I hope you enjoyed this uh, little presentation that we put together. Again, I've been doing this for uh, the last several years. Every year I add more and more to it, which forces me to take some slides out as well. So, um, you know, in this past year too, normally I would do this in two sessions. I was... Uh, really stuck in a 50-minute time window for this one. But again, if you want to check out the slides that go along with this video, you could check us out on the YouTube channel, scannerschool.com slash YouTube. Again, make sure you click on subscribe and uh, also click on the bell icon. And again, before we split for the week, I want to also recognize our nine Patreon supporters, Brian Southworth, Dan James Felling, Ken Newberry, Kenneth Fowler, M.T. Bono, Mark Beebe, Raymond Hill, and William Arcan. Again, thank you all so very much for your continued support on Patreon. And if you want to know how to help support Scanner School Podcast and everything else that we're doing now, go to our support page, scannerschool.com support. We do have some products on that, that we recommend, as well as our Patreon support and also our one-time PayPal donations, if that's what you would prefer as well. So with that, I know this session is a little bit longer than I, I usually put out, so we're going to cut it right here. I want to say thank you very much for listening. And again, if you would like me to do a presentation for your radio club or something similar to that, drop me a line and we can discuss that. We'll catch you all next week. 73, thank you so much for listening. I am Phil Lichtenberger. This is Scanner School, a podcast where we teach you everything you need to know about the scanner radio hobby. We will catch you again for our next podcast next Tuesday, 73.